I bought a copy of the Papa Lip CD, High Time Now, when it was first released in 1998. One of the tracks on it, I'll Be Free, struck me as capturing the optimistic enthusiasm of youth. But what happens to the hopes and dreams of musicians just starting out? I'm Neil Ashworth, and this is I'll Be Free, a podcast about musicians finding a way to make a living, the lessons they've learned, and how they survived, or plan to survive, a life in music. This is a different era for music. There's too many other distractions or things that interest the newer generations. Guitarist Bruce Reed was born in Montreal, Canada, where he played in bands for many years before emigrating to Australia. His credits and discography are too long to list in a rich and varied career. So we're going to just pick out some highlights. I spoke to him in the studios of TAFE Ultimo, where he lectures on music. Okay, so you came from a musical family. Yeah, they were the first. My brother and two sisters had guitars before me. I bought a guitar. Uh, I took to it. I acquired a guitar teacher from a friend of my sister's. He would come every Thursday. He was a great guitar player and didn't want me to pay him. He just wanted to escape from his house, which he lived with his crazy mother. So how old were you at this time? I think I was about 13 or 14. Gradually got met some people who I could play with, and uh, I guess I, I would think I turned professional about age 19 or 20. And that first band were, was a group of people that I knew quite well. We'd sort of played, before we officially started working together, we played a whole summer. During the day, we'd play volleyball, and then we'd go down to the basement and just jam. That band lasted about eight years, and we traveled all around Canada. Oh, that is not bad for a first band. Yeah, it was a, it was a full-on band. We played all the time. We traveled continually, because in the context of living, living in Montreal, at that point, in the, starting around 1976, Montreal is 85% French-speaking. So it's a limited market. We had to travel a lot. We traveled in Ontario, the maritime provinces of New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. We went down to Vermont State and New York State. So we were always traveling. What sort of music were you playing? When it started out, it was pretty eclectic. We were kind of a, well, the beginning of country rock. So, But we would, uh, we would go into R&B. We had a female singer who loved Chaka Khan and Rufus, so we played that stuff. It was eclectic and it was allowed. It was a period where music wasn't so segmented and you had to be in one form or another. And we both played acoustically. I played pedal steel guitar as well, so we lent itself to country and country rock. The guy played, the other guitar player played mandolin, so we'd do that kind of traditional stuff we could do a lot of different things and people like that in those days 
it must make you adaptive to the audience as well because yeah. something's going to play and something isn't and you don't know. Yeah, the only problem with that is when you get booked into a room which is a hard rock room and it doesn't make sense. And um, that happened a couple of times when we'd be booked in out west. I remember going to um, Vancouver and to Alberta. That was hard because, you know, you they want rock. They want pretty mainstream rock. So we adapted over the time period and got more rock as the taste for country rock died. You know, the Eagles were really strong, Poco, a whole bunch of Bonnie Raitt, all kind of Little Feet, loved Little Feet, and we played that kind of stuff. And it became a bit uh, out of fashion, so we moved into more commercial mainstream. It got less fun musically. When that ended, I stuck closer to home and played with bands that didn't tour around because I literally eight years of Canada's a big place. Did you have your own vehicle? Yeah. Yeah, because flying? No. No. We weren't flying in those days. So that's like the band in a van. Van in the van, yes. We had several vans that we traveled, and I drove. I was one of the main drivers. Some of them didn't drive, so I ended up driving an awful lot. You must have got to know them pretty well in the van. Though. Oh, we knew each other so well. I, I uh, flatted with the, the drummer for many, many years, so we don't. We didn't even have to think, you know, or speak. We knew what each other were thinking, really. And uh, we were a gang, and we held we held together pretty well for that time. But when it finished, we went our separate ways, sort of. I ended up playing in a band for a couple of years with the, the older sister of the singer, who was a fantastic singer. And she was so good that she got us a gig at the same bar in the middle of town for a couple of years straight, four nights a week, paid really good money. And all of a sudden, I didn't have to travel anymore. Hard to do these days. I mean, I was talking with a bass player from that era, in the golden era of Australian pub rock, I guess it would, would be the 70s and the 80s. And he said there, between Sydney and Brisbane, there were like 150 gigs you could do on the way up. And now there probably are 10 or 12. Like there's, you know, the big RSLs just like hoovered up all the other small gigs and now people just go to those bigger venues to spend their money. Anything else would be really minimal pay for any musician, you know. The, the whole scenario and in in canada for me as in montreal not being french canadian after a while a lot of the english people moved to ontario and to vancouver and our audience was dwindling i played in a wonderful band a couple of bands just before i left um another sort of seven-year hitch with a bunch of great players and we were really good we had Four good singers. I include myself as a good singer, but I could sing well enough to sing some leads, and we all sang harmonies, and we were quite popular because we could tackle anything really, and the musicianship was good. So we were local as well. We could stay local. We didn't hop in vans. We didn't do that. And then I started to record with some very talented people. At this stage, you must be in your late 20s, early 30s. You must have known that this is your life. 
I did. At 30, there's that famous Saturn return that people who are into astrology say happens where you look at what you've done in the 20, age 20 to 30 and go, no, I'm going to change careers. And I, I did. I looked at that for a second. Should I become a massage therapist or should I study something else? But it, nothing occurred to me at that point. And it was pretty minimal livelihood. Uh, that first band of mine, we put everything back into the band to buy the vans that we traveled in and to, you know, everything went back. We, we did recording, we wrote music, and we... Back in those days, to get into a studio, that was a real occasion. Nothing like that that you've brought in with you. That didn't exist. And a studio was maybe there'd be some, you know, non-commercial studio that, that someone had built in their basement, but they were rare. So the opportunity to record didn't come along all that often. And, and to get a recording contract was, wow, you know, that's the next level. And, th- and that was the aim, wasn't it? That was the, definitely the aim. Yeah, and it was big. It was a huge deal in those days. You would get a hopefully a four-record deal. That that was sort of the standard. And your first record didn't have to take off. They'd develop you for a couple of records, and then hopefully you would have done it by the third record or something like that. That was kind of the the way it worked in those days. And and within not too long a time, that didn't work anymore, and you had to hit on the first record or else forget it. But it was always part of my upbringing. Uh, my my uh, career was always original music and recording. So you were writing music? Yeah, I had a friend who was in that original first band for a while who had money from his family and he set up a, a really good studio. And we wrote for 10 years together. I was always there in the basement writing. And he would have the newest drum machine, which was new in those mm-hmm. days, um, or he'd have the newest keyboard we, he kept up and he had a good sound desk and that was my other life. As as soon as I'd finish, get off the road, I'd go to my other friend's house, Bruce, and we would write. And almost got the record deal. We had amassed enough good songs that we almost got signed. And when we didn't, basically the air went out of that balloon for me, I think, uh, around 1985. Mm. And I went back to playing live. Just before coming to Australia, a couple of years before coming here, and I got here in 93, I started to record with some f- two guys who, one, uh, just a fantastic singer, the six foot six guy, a soulful, beautiful singer. Got a haunted house right next to mine With a voice screamed to wake the dead And the skeletons that Buddy was the bass player, both good composers. So I managed to get on a couple of really good records that were being heard. Got my name around a little bit as a guitar player in country, but then not enough that it was going to keep me. I was a working musician at all the while. So this is a name to do session work or a name to be well, in a band? Well, it was uh, it was a uh, it was sessions. I mean, they're all you're always doing sessions with people. I always have been. Um, whether or not the session turns into something that other people hear is is the question really and this is the first one where uniformly everyone had heard it really thought it was good at, at that level that it could break into a higher level now it didn't but not for lack of it being at that level it was really good quality music i was very proud of it still am 
I can still put that on and go, that was a good one. be able to sing along, you've got to be able to dance, or you've got to be able to uh, cry, or two of those three would be really good. Yeah, yeah. elicit emotion from people, yes. a reaction. Yeah, yeah you're, a- you're after that sort of thing, and yet it's so elusive, isn't it? Yeah. It, it, and it's not down to skill. No, there's just a lot of gatekeepers that you've you got to get by, you know, to, and you've got to be ready to do those hard yards of getting by and meeting lots of folks so uh, for example the singer that I talked about the six foot six guy was a graphic artist as well and was much happier being staying a graphic artist rather than going on the road and feeling like his health was going to suffer because he was a bit of a hypochondriac so it it didn't fit if you find that you're with somebody who where it fits you know the lifestyle fits everything lines up person has the talent and they also have the will and they also have the inclination that they like that lifestyle the guy that sings with dragon mark williams i'm in dragon and there's somebody who you go that person is doing the right thing and he's happy doing it and that's all he's ever done Uh, one of the great gigs that i had was the just for laughs festival this last band of great singers that i talked about for uh, the drummer still has the gig 30 years later every year from in july the just for laughs festival that is famous would have a venue called club soda and we played we'd play these comedians on and off stage and we do a couple of instrumental songs before each of the shows over a period of about 15 days and i saw everybody every comedian that you know I saw them, and the next day, if they killed, they signed a television deal or something. Yeah, it started in 1989, and then I came back and did one more. So I did five of those, and they were remarkable. Anybody from Bill Hicks, uh, Dennis Leary, um, Adam Sandler, I've got a tape of us backing him up, him doing this amazing imitation of Axl Rose. He's uncanny mimic, that guy. Just all these people, the tool guy, all these guys. Yeah, so you meet the lady who's about to become your wife or is your wife at this stage? She's about to become oh, she. We, we married here, but we lived together there for a couple of years. And her work opportunities were drying up and she wanted to go back. I sold up everything. I went, okay, I'm 37, I think. Let's try another tact i only knew one person here or a couple but uh wendy matthews who was from montreal grew up in the same neighborhood i good friends with her brother her mother we played sports together all summer we'd play baseball together went to the same high school i didn't know wendy that well i'd only met her a couple times because she left home really early and moved out to la to become a session singer and then she met um glenn shyrock who invited her to come and and sing in his band after Little River Band finished, I think. So I knew her, and I moved here in 93. In 94, I started to be her guitar player, for, and I played with her for about 11 years. In the early morning rain With a dollar in my hand With an aching in my heart 
As we got to know each other, I was playing on her records. So I played on about four of her records, and the last record that I was played with her, I produced it with her. So, and I arranged all the music. The record before that, I wrote half the songs on the record. Yeah, we had a good relationship. Still, I still see her at these gold shows that come. You know, the ones that feature a bunch of artists from the '80s, the heritage artists, and and we uh, we. See each other then and catch up. Cherokee Louise is hiding in the tunnel in the Broadway bridge. We are crawling on our knees. We got flashlights and batteries. We've got cold cuts from the fridge. Last year, about this time, we used to climb. It's a better environment here in Australia than it was for me in Quebec. And in Canada, it was it was it's all set up here for for Wendy. When I joined her, we immediately went on tour for six weeks, almost every night, and it went on that like that for a couple of years. And it stopped records uh, an album, and it was like that for a lot of artists. And it it stopped. It's not like that really now because this is a different era. For music, there's too many other distractions or things that interest the newer generations. They're they're much more video and internet focused. They don't support music in this, quite the same way. They the music is super important to this generation, but they don't consume it and they don't necessarily want to go to a pub or to a club to see their bands unless. It's quite specific, whereas I think it was the social way of the way of being social in the 80s and the 70s and, and the 90s to some degree. So you've played with Wendy Matthews from about 11, from 94 to 95, and that's when I jumped to uh, Dragon because Wendy started to gig less and less, like literally six gigs with a band that year. So it changed. You know, if you're writing with Wendy Matthews and if you must be getting some sort of flow of royalties as well? Pretty minimal because uh, I, I, I was thinking about while we're talking that, you know, you're asking what's the change really? And something that really changed the industry is, is the pirating. So what happened just as I was coming out to join Wendy in 94, she had just done Lily and Lily sold 500,000 copies or more. And that was the leading female contemporary sales figure, you know, that no other female had sold that many records in Australia. And two records later, any album she put out would be on some pirate site that you could get before it was even released. And that was an indication of the change because there were no more record sales really in any way resembling what they'd had. I was giving guitar lessons to people my own age that saying, oh, I just got this record and that record and I just downloaded it from whatever. And I went, this isn't tenable for musicians anymore. That's what has happened. Even for someone who has written not that much on an album like that, you're not going to get much out of that. And now the whole game has changed with things like Spotify. Musicians don't like Spotify. It's not supported. Cherokee Louise
we were doing a gig. Wendy and the band were at a club south, and, and there was a wedding sort of party in the next room while we were playing in this room. And there were about 25, 30 people at one table with one guitar, and they were singing song after song that everyone was singing. And I went, what is that? What song does 30 people know how to sing? And Wendy would roll her eyes going, it's Dragon. <laughs> What's that one? Oh, it's Dragon again. And she sang backup on most of those songs. She was what the, the leading session singer in Sydney when she got here. She was the best. Then decided to do her own career. She probably regrets that. It's an easier life to be the session singer. So th this is your first uh, contact then with Dragon? That was. I mean, I actually saw them and I was with uh, Wendy and we'd be rehearsing in Alexandria at this thing. I used to see a couple of times them come in to rehearse. These big, tall buggers. Man, they were tall, all of them. And they wore these long coats and they never rehearsed. They would just sit around and talk. I never heard them because they have barely rehearsed. They weren't that kind of band. They were just, I didn't know their music at all. And I suddenly, out of the blue, I got a call from Todd to help record all their hits acoustically because uh, Liberation Acoustic was the label from Melbourne who quite uh, astutely said to these artists like Dragon and other a whole bunch of bands from the 70s and 80s, here's $10,000, just record your, your songs acoustically and then go out and you'll be able to tour them in a minimal way, not with a big production, but just acoustically. And 2006, you officially become part of Dragon? Really, you're hooking into the milking phase of that band, aren't you? Yes. If, you know, and I mean that with all respect. Yeah, we just job description is don't wreck it. Don't wreck it for the people who come to the gig. And if you please them, and that was difficult because a lot of people wouldn't accept the band without Mark, uh, you know, Hunter singing. So we had to prove ourselves for a couple of years, even, uh, you know, to a point where, a lot, for example, in New Zealand, the main booker, booking agent, used to be the drummer for the Angels. And he went back and opened up. He's basically the, the booker there. And I remember hearing him say, oh, no, I just can't imagine Dragon the way they are now. I, I just can't see that. And he actually had to go and see our gigs. We, we went back to New Zealand continually just to reestablish it. And finally, he came to a gig and went, okay, I get it. You guys don't wreck it. <laughs> Let's go. Everybody say After that, we would play at the level of, you know, 10,000 people in a big field in a winery and stuff like that. And that was, then you see how important dragon songs are, you know, because you've got 10,000 people singing. That never happened to any other band I've ever. Wendy was popular, but it wasn't like she wrote anthems. 
Dragon. That, those songs are in people's DNA now, you know. It's, it's a different thing. I'm the same. I've got the lyrics to Young Years posted on my... I mean, I know that's a Sharon O'Neill song, but because it's it's one of those songs that's changed meanings as I got older. When I was young, when it first came out, it was, a, these are our young years. Yeah, yeah. But now it's... Those, those were, were our, our young years. Broken cars, old guitars Waiting here for the time to pass Time takes its toll It took it fast Secret meetings at the river's been Simple days when I called your friend And when, when we light into that song People just go it's like this release for them it's it's cathartic you know it's amazing and no longer chucking the gear in the back of a tarago and and uh, sitting there with five smelly bikes no i get my guitar and our soundman brings my pedal case which is too heavy and i just have to get my guitar to and my luggage to the airport and we're gone you know we're lucky we work a lot our agent said you know you guys work the most of any band that he knows and that was like one of the main booking agents and not not counting this past year in a normal kind of environment we work all the time and we love it just every gig is a sing-along you know when we started when we recorded this album and i didn't know that their music the the job description was let's come up with something new todd didn't want to replicate everything he had an opportunity to kind of reinvent the the repertoire but not wreck it like that that was make it memorable and, and recognizable but it had me um converting keyboard lines to guitar lines a lot of the time because we didn't have a keyboard player which was one of the one of the, the sounds of dragon was that great keyboard player when we got together to do this record mm. uh, and we called it Sunshine Terrain and it came out beautifully it's a lovely it, record yes I've heard it it's good and um, then Todd said well now we gotta go work, play some gigs and okay great I thought maybe I could play with Wendy and Dragon but Dragon got really bit and Wendy said no you're not coming back because you're going to be too busy and that was the case but so we got together to rehearse to play the songs live which we hadn't done when we were recording them we were thinking a different way so every now and then Todd would stop and say okay now we need a verse and a chorus built in for the audience to sing and I went what is he nuts you know that's not going to work. And, and then I played some gigs and went, ah, okay, right, I got it. They own the song. They want to own the song, and they did. So that was part of the deal, was to, to link with the audience. You had let them have the voice. They'll take it anyway, but give it, give them a whole verse and a chorus to sing, and they'll, they'll chant like nobody's business. It's all about the songs, really. I mean, it's all the songbook and the repertoire. When we did a, a gig with Jimmy Barnes over in New Zealand one summer over there, did about six gigs, I heard him standing by the side of the stage because we went on before him. It was He was the headliner, but he was cursing us because oh, never let Dragon open for you in New Zealand because... We had more recognizable songs, it seemed to me. I mean, Jimmy's no slouch. He's got a lot of beautiful catalog himself. But he, and maybe he was being a bit funny, but I think he was actually going, they're going to make me work harder than I want to work. One of the records you did with Dragon was It's All Too Beautiful, yeah. which was like revisiting uh, that 60s British invasion. Which we loved, so it was, a, it was a labor of love, that one. I love the, all those songs, yeah. 
is that you playing? It's called Albatross by Fleetwood Mac. That was nice to to learn that one. Yeah, Todd was very happy to play that one too. He loved that. So nice that song. I didn't really know it until I, I may have had it, heard it in the back of my mind, but it wasn't one of the ones that stayed with me, like a whiter shade of pale or something like that, but it's, it was fun to play that. Playing with Dragon, you're getting paid by the gig? Yes, yes, but much more than any band before. Uh, Todd Hunter is a really lovely person to work with, and he he looks after us really well. So when does the UTS TAFE happen? Um, I started teaching at TAFE 20 years ago, or a little bit more than that. And, And what made you decide to do that? It's just if any professional musician I know just about teaches unless they've got a business that they're running. Everybody has to have some kind of income to support this habit we've all got. But it's, um, you know, as a TAFE teacher, and I'm full-time and have been for a dozen years, that means I don't have to depend on that. You know, that when COVID hit, I was okay. TAFE didn't shut. We, st- we stayed open. We, in fact, stayed mostly face-to-face over the period of the year. And it's a good job. It pays well. And it's something that I love. I walk out of the door feeling energized because I'm just helping people get become better musicians. You know, that's my aim. Our goal here is to really help people get moving. I have a sort of big interest in country music and in bluegrass music, and I play devote my life to banjo these days, where I I didn't play banjos eight years ago, but I I really wanted to. And I've always played slide guitar and dobro. That was something that I do. So I write music and have a little band that records my instrumental music, and I've been doing that since 2000. That couldn't. That probably couldn't have happened 20 years ago. There's an evolution that has happened, and if you're able to trace it, you can see that we're still going fine in evolving as musicians. It's just it's harder to to be aware of it. When I was young, radio broke things, but now. Radio is usually the last people to hear about what's going on out there. Triple J, I don't even listen to anymore because I'm I'm pretty bad. I think I, I 
listen to music that I, I want to hear and and that's not the kind of music that I hear on Triple J. I'm sort of more focused on really good instrumentalists, like that band, the Punch Brothers. That's my one of my main interests, of people who are masters on their instrument. And that's not the kind of music that you would hear in popular music. So I guess I've drifted into a niche area like classical music, where it's perfect. People who can play with a degree of perfection on their instruments, you know, and that's kind of what I, I, I like. Occasionally I like to hear bashing clashing rock and and the nihilistic sort of smart stuff that it's fun but um you know it's hard to hear what i would want to hear on a radio so what what happens in the future for bruce reed then well it takes a lot of energy to put a project together besides dragon so i'll save part of my energy for dragon in terms of writing uh, we all, we put out new records about once every two years, and I love meeting with the guys because they're really talented, and we always come up with stuff that we love. And we put it, we record it quite quickly, really cheaply, because everybody's got their studio. The drummer is a genius; he's got the best sound. He's a great engineer, so we, we'll send tapes up to you know our tracks up to him. He'll mix it, and uh, and then I've got my own stuff that if I get a holiday, I'll sit down and I'll be able to play and write some music. Once I get going into teaching full-time four days a week and then Dragon get busy, and it looks like they'll get busy. If I look at my t- my schedule for the rest of the year, it doesn't resemble a COVID year. Good. It looks like a real year, and I hope that it, it maintains its integrity, that schedule, because from about June on, it's like, okay, that's every weekend for the next three, four months. That's fantastic, and... We can't play in Sydney all the time. We wouldn't want to because it's great to go visit Melbourne. It's great to visit Adelaide, to Brisbane. Occasionally, WA, it's so expensive. So it's hard to get out there, but we used to go there. And we go to New Zealand at least once, more more than once a year. I'll, 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 I'll put a pitch in for, you know, if you want to hear what Bruce does, go to brucecarterreed.bandcamp.com. And there's a record that I just made. So that one, yeah, the the most recent one, and that's an, uh, like another example of someone I grew up with in Montreal moved to San Francisco, became a recording engineer. He he and I had played in bands, kept in touch. I said, I'm thinking of doing this record. I'd done three other records where I recorded with these guys, and I went, I think I'll just do it myself. Do you want to help me? And I'd I'd send him back tracks, and he'd mix it up. I went to San Francisco a couple of times to to sit with them and do more another year of going back and forth emailing each other tracks going how about this 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 you know fix that one up and that's that record it's called boots goes walking and it's indicative of the way we're all working now and i've got some great musicians from all over playing on it so back you're back gigging uh things look good and life goes on and i mean so are you free yeah I, I I feel quite free, and I, I you know the holidays that we just had at Easter. I just sat in my basement and recorded lap steel and banjo tracks and guitar tracks for my friends back in Montreal. That those same guys that I played in bands with, and and another guy's song that we grew up together and started playing music together when I was 15, and we're still 50 years later. We're recording music together and writing music together so it's a very interesting period of time
hear more of Bruce Reed on Bandcamp. Just search Bruce Carter Reed or Boots Go Walking, or you can catch Dragon Live when they tour. They'll be coming to a venue near you. Produced and mixed by Neil Ashworth on Goringai Country. The intro music is I'll Be Free by Papa Lips from the album High Time Now. Check out the website fishwishing.com.au for all the other details, including a track list.